If you are willing and able, will you please stand for the reading of God's word? And while you do that, I remind you that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We will be reading Romans 1, 28, 2-11. You may follow in your bulletin on page 11 or in your Bibles. Let us read. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pam. It's not relevant. I don't think I'll ever forget that phrase, that statement, that conversation. It's not relevant. That means it's not important or it doesn't matter. And those were the words that our brother Greg Brett said to me about six weeks ago uh, or so when I was visiting him at the Middletown home and he was waiting to be with Jesus. And I asked him about the Phillies. It was near the end of the season. They were on a good run. And he said, oh, that's not relevant. And it showed me both his heart 
and mine. Although I knew he was a big Phillies fan, he has this big Phillies chair in his home, and I thought he might be interested in talking about it. But he said, that's not relevant. When faced with death, we often have a better perspective on the things that really matter. And just a side note here, I'm not saying this because the Tigers are terrible and the Phillies are about to win the World Series. So if you're a Phillies fan, I hope you enjoy that good gift from God and give thanks to him for it. But today, I want to take a moment and talk to you about things that really matter, that are relevant both now and forever, that will make a difference in your life, not just for a fleeting moment, but for all eternity. Beloved, what you do in response to the truth this morning can make a difference in whether you experience God's wrath in hell or God's glory and peace in heaven. The main point of the beginning of Romans chapter 2 is this. Everyone will face God's righteous judgment. And the only way to be saved from that is to repent of your sin, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and then bear fruit in keeping with that repentance and faith. So the clear, the urgent message of this passage is this. When your life is over, God will give you either eternal life or wrath and fury. You will either receive glory and honor and peace, or you will receive tribulation and distress. Heaven or hell awaits you when you die, and both will last forever. That is the urgent message for all of us today. From the youngest to the oldest, from the most moral on the outside to the most immoral on the outside. So how will you take this message personally this morning? Don't think of anyone else but yourself. How will you fall on the right side of God's coming righteous judgment? And this way, think of those that you know and love and interact with. How can they be saved from God's wrath and enjoy his glory and peace? And how might you share that message with them? Children, today we have a serious, important message for you. And I would encourage you to listen and to obey as you do each week. It's a joy to have our children here listening in, worshiping with us. I encourage you to talk to your mom or your dad today after this sermon. You don't have to be afraid of God's righteous judgment because Jesus is your strong and kind Savior. And he loves you and he came to offer you today his forgiveness and his love and his joy and life with him forever. So we pray that you would know his love and trust and obey him today. Teenagers, I urge you to pay attention today as well, to think about what really matters in this world. And I would urge you to not be foolish. Do not give yourself to pleasures that may last for a moment and then are gone, to things that are not relevant, to lies that could bring you lasting eternal punishment in hell. And I also would urge you to not put off your response to the gospel. I know that some of you may think like I often thought when I was younger, I could deal with heaven and hell when I'm old. But first, let me live as I please. Most teenagers think that they are indestructible. 
that they will live forever. But you are not guaranteed a long life. And perhaps even more important than that, you are not guaranteed future opportunities to respond to the gospel with belief. Every time you reject the gospel, every time you put off the right response, you harden your heart. And you may get to the point where you have no more chances. Today, do not presume upon the riches of God's kindness and his patience. And all you young adults and singles and married people in the prime of your life, today, for a moment, beware of giving all your attention and affection to the busyness of life, to work, to children's activities, to fun with your friends, to relief from the stress and demands of life with worldly distractions and delights. Beware of just doing the next thing and not slowing down enough to remember your creator. Beware of orienting your life around the world's demands and delights rather than around God, your righteous judge. Eternal wrath and eternal peace weigh in the balance. And all you older saints... Don't hide from this fast-approaching, all-important question of where, in just a few short years or months, your soul will be. May God give you grace to live in light of that truth, to steward your last years, whatever remaining years the Lord gives you, your perhaps retirement years, to laying up treasure in heaven, knowing that you are ready. You are ready with the righteousness of Christ to enter into life and not fall into the hands of omnipotent wrath. There is an urgent message for each one of us here today. Wherever we fall in that spectrum, may all of us, every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most moral to the most immoral, examine ourselves with this truth from God's word this morning. After death, there is eternal life and glory and honor and peace, and there is eternal wrath and fury and tribulation and distress. And in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, you, every one of you, will be irreversibly in one or the other. Everyone will face God's righteous judgment. And the only way to be saved from that is to repent of your sin, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and then bear fruit in keeping with that repentance and faith. At the end of Romans chapter 1, which we read just to kind of give us the context for where we're at in our study of this book of Romans. So at the end of Romans chapter 1, the the Jews, they are listening in, in a sense, as Paul is showing how the Gentiles were guilty. We might think of it this way. Those who were inside the church were listening in as Paul showed how those outside the church were. We're guilty. But Paul knew the danger in that. The danger that they would respond by becoming self-righteous. Self-righteousness is to think that you are better than others. Or that you are just fine the way you are on your own. So now, in Romans chapter 2, Paul will turn his attention to those inside the church, in a sense. He's going to show the Jews, those who lived moral lives, that simply being born into God's covenant family, or we might say into a Christian family, or going to church, or doing good things, that is not enough to save us from God's righteous anger against our sin. So the first point that Paul makes is this. We are all guilty. 
We are all guilty, Jews and Gentiles, the moral and the immoral, from the youngest to the oldest. Listen to the first five verses of chapter 2 once again. Paul says straight out, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Jews, the the religious, those who were moral, they thought that they would escape the judgment of God. They were God's chosen people after all. They could say, hey, listen, you know who my my ancestor is? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the heroes of the Old Testament. God made a covenant with us. His promises belong to us. God has been so kind and so gracious to us in the past. He delivered us from slavery in Egypt. He led us into the promised land. Some of them even thought that if we were just from the right place, we just live in the right place in Jerusalem, then that counts for obeying all of God's love, all of God's law. They thought, we're on the winning team. We're on the right side. Surely God won't judge us for our sin. We won't be judged in the same way as those who do not know God. They were the religious, moral people that God loved. They, they began to think they were better than others. They were good enough on their own. But Paul says, when they pass judgment on others, when they are self-righteous or smug, they condemn themselves. Why? Because they practice the very same things. He wants them to see, and he wants us to see today that we're all born with the same heart problem. They had the same heart problem that the pagans did, disordered worship. So on the outside, it might look different. It might show itself in different ways, but on the inside, it was the same ugly heart, a heart stained with sin, a heart of idolatry. They are indeed guilty, and they will not escape the judgment of God. He says their hearts are hardening, and they are not sorry for their sin. And so they are storing up wrath for themselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is Paul's point in the beginning of Romans chapter 2. And so he wants all people, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most moral to the most immoral, all boys and girls, all teenagers, all young adults, all who may be married, all who may be single, all middle-aged, all empty nesters, all senior citizens, all who may be retired, everyone, All to know we are all guilty apart from Christ. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And we should never trust anything other than Jesus to save us from God's righteous judgment. That's his first point. We are all guilty. Second, God's righteous judgment is coming. I want you to see four aspects of this judgment in the text. God's judgment is just. It is guaranteed. It is for everyone, and it will result in one of two outcomes. So first, it's just. Verse 2, Paul says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So God's judgment is right. It is just. 
this will be the most fair, the most just verdict ever given. There will be no mistakes. There will be no undue or harsh punishment. There will also be no undeserved or gross leniency, but only perfect justice. In verse 6, it says, God will render to each one according to his works. So this judgment is just because it is rendered by God. And we are told, and we see on display, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. That he is holy, holy, holy. That he is the judge of all the earth, and he will do what is right. No one will ever be able to say to God about his judgment, you were wrong. There will be no instant replay that will ever overturn his judgment. He sees all. He knows all. And so he is able to render with absolute precise perfection the most just judgment that could be given. Verse 7 confirms this when it says God shows no partiality. So the judgment will be just because God plays no favorites. He does not take bribes. He's not swayed by anything outside of himself. So this judgment will not be based on your skin color, your ethnicity, your nationality, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're male or female. It won't be based on, based on your intellect or your family or your social status or your bank account. It won't be based on how much you have suffered or any kind of intersectionality that our world talks about today. It won't be based on how much you have been discriminated against. Instead, it will be in accord with your works. Verse 6 says, he will render to each one according to his works. So God's judgment will be just because it will be based on the life you have lived. Not according to whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. Now this is both good news and bad news for us. It's good news because it puts every single one of us on the same level ground. No matter who you are, where you're from, you stand on equal footing before God. It's bad news because no matter who you are or where you're from, what you do, your works apart from Christ will always earn you God's just condemnation. That is the bad news. But there's great hope for us. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But because of this thought here, this is why some interpret this passage to be speaking of a hypothetical situation when it's talking about judging us according to our works. Because God's standard is perfection. Absolute, perfect obedience to his law. You must always love God supremely and you must always love others sacrificially. Have you done that? We can all say no. And for once we'll be telling the truth. None of us have done that. No one can do that. So some believe that Paul's saying he's setting up this scenario. If that was possible, then you could pass God's judgment and you could earn eternal life. But it's not. So Paul is going to go on and clearly emphasize throughout the book of Romans that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The theme of this book is the gospel of God, the salvation of God, righteousness outside of us, given to us, that brings us into a right standing with God. That's going to be the clear message throughout our study. So let's keep that in mind as we seek to discern what Paul is saying to us here. So, so we know that is all true. 
But I do not think that this is a hypothetical situation. I think the point is primarily this. God's judgment is just. But then also, saving faith in Jesus. A life of repentance and faith shows itself in good works that God will reward. Not because we deserve it, but because he is so gracious to us. These works that we do, they do not earn us salvation. They cannot make us right with God, but they are the fruit of salvation. Now we'll come back to that in a moment. But for now, this main point, God's judgment is just. Second aspect, it's guaranteed. That is, it will come. It will happen. You know, so many of us fail to believe that this is true, that there's a judgment coming, because we get away with sin, so to speak. We don't really, but we think we do. Because we don't see or we don't feel the immediate consequence of our sin. We don't realize the riches of God's patience and kindness that are designed to lead us to repentance. We don't realize the way that sin affects us even now. In verse 3, Paul asks this rhetorical question. Do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? You will not. None of you will. Verse 5, he tells us God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, just a side note here. As, stick with me as we go through this. I want you to know that if you know the Lord, the judgment of God is not something to fear. It's actually something to look forward to. It'll be a great day of rejoicing for you if you know the Lord. If you do not know the Lord, it is something to fear, but that can change today, this very moment. But God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Not might be, not may be, it will be. It is coming, it will happen, it's guaranteed. Third aspect, it is for everyone. Verse 6, God will render to each one. So this coming judgment is for every human being. Two times in verses 9 and 10, Paul will say that the judgment is for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And that's his way of saying it's for the whole world. The Jews at that time were known as God's covenant people, the people of God. The Gentiles were everybody else. So God's judgment is for everyone. And then one final aspect, this judgment will result in either one of two outcomes, either eternal life or wrath and fury. Verse 7, he says, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But then verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Friend, God's righteous judgment is coming for you. And it will result either in your reward, thanks be to God for his son Jesus Christ, or it will result in your eternal punishment. Lord, have mercy. So the question today is, how will you respond? And I pray that God would grant you repentance and faith in Jesus. A repentance and faith that will show itself in a life of good works. The first aspect of that is to repent. In verse 4, Paul makes it clear God's kindness has a purpose behind it. It is meant, it is designed to lead you to repentance. So the reason that God's judgment has not yet fallen on you today is because he is graciously giving you the opportunity to repent. 
And on the inside cover of our worship guide today, we have uh, question 87 from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's printed there, and it asks the question, what is repentance? And here's the answer, the definition that they give. Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred for his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Let's just briefly break down that definition. First of all, this repentance is a saving grace. That means it's a gift from God. So salvation is all of God. Even the ability to repent is a gift from God. It involves a true sense of your sin. So you must know that you are guilty, that you are a sinner. And you must know also that the only way that you or anyone can be forgiven of their sins is by God's mercy through Christ. And once you begin to understand that and to realize that, God will give you a godly sorrow for your sin. You will see the folly of it and you will begin to hate it and you will want to turn from it to give it up and turn to God. So you now hate your sin and you begin to love God. And then finally, you go forward in this new life, making every effort to walk in new obedience. Why? Because you have a new king. Because you no longer call the shots in your life. You don't just want to do what you want to do to make yourself happy. And you no longer will worship other created things or people. But your disordered worship has been reoriented. So now you worship the one true God who made you and loves you and gave himself for you. This is what it means to repent of your sin. And we all need to do this. There, there are different aspects of this. We all need to do this, in a sense, as an initial entrance into God's kingdom. There's that coming to Christ where we acknowledge this to be true. And then this becomes a daily, lifelong habit. Repentance and faith every day. So, beloved, repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. How can you come out on the right side of God's coming righteous judgment? There's one way and one way only. And that is through trusting in his son, Jesus. Jesus is the only one who passes this test. He is the only one who truly and always loved God supremely and loved others sacrificially. And so it's only those who are safe in him who will come out safely on the other side. But beloved, all those who are safe in Jesus, you will come out safely on the other side. There's no need to fear. There's no need to doubt. It will be an occasion of joy and rejoicing in your life. The gospel of Christ in our worship uh, this morning was from Romans chapter 3. And it says there that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That word propitiation, we've described it before. It's a good word to remember, or at least remember what it means. It means that when Jesus died on the cross, God poured out his righteous anger against your sin on his son, Jesus Christ. He died, Jesus died, so that you could live. There is nothing that you could ever do to earn or win this favor. You simply receive it with open hands as a gift. You believe it is true, and it will change your life. 
You begin to orient your life around this good news of the gospel. God gave Jesus the wrath-filled punishment that you deserve so that all people, both Jews and Gentiles, all kinds of people can respond to him in faith and then receive all of his love and none of his wrath. What a tremendous exchange we receive through Christ. So, beloved, when you understand that, when, when that becomes clear in your mind, you can't repent fast enough. You put your trust and your love in Jesus Christ alone as you see his glory. And then his love compels you to not live for yourself, but to live for him. You now want to do good. Because you're a new creation in Christ. Your heart has been reoriented to the things of God. And you want to please him. So repent, put your faith in Jesus, and do good. You know, many of us in this world, we think it doesn't matter what we do when it comes to a a final judgment. And beloved, that's a lie. God's word says that for those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, for those who do evil, there will be a consequence. There will be wrath and fury. Is your life self-centered today? Is it centered around you? Are you living an unrighteous life? Are you doing evil? Have you failed to put your trust in Jesus alone? If that is true of your life and what your life is all about, then what you are earning right now is God's wrath. And unless you repent and trust in Jesus, God's righteous judgment is coming. It will fall on you and you have no idea when that may happen. But friend, it does not have to. Today is a day of salvation. Today you can be delivered from that wrath and be brought into God's family and live a life of new obedience to the glory of the God alone who can forgive your sins. But you know, even Christians can fall into this lie of thinking that what we do as believers doesn't really matter. We we know that we're not saved by our works. But sometimes that can lead us into adopting this attitude of, well, then I can just do whatever I want because God will forgive me. And Paul will crush that thinking through the book of Romans. So pay attention for that. But Paul right here is already warning us not to take advantage of God's grace. It does matter what we do. Not in the sense that our salvation is based on it. No, that is based only on what Jesus Christ has done. But that work of Jesus includes changing our hearts, giving us a desire to love him and others, making us zealous for good works. Paul summarizes it very well in Ephesians chapter 2, another letter that he wrote, a familiar passage where he said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. It's clear. Salvation is a gift. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. But then what does he say? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Beloved, when you realize that you have been saved from God's righteous judgment only because Jesus suffered it for you, God gives you a new desire to do good, to live a life of gratitude to him for his mercy. 
we studied through the book of Ecclesiastes a couple of years ago. And if you remember, the theme of that book is uh, kind of all the ways that we look for meaning in life apart from God. All of the things that are not relevant that we give our affections and our times to apart from God. And we saw that it's all meaningless. All meaningless. And do you remember the closing words of that book, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14? The writer sums it up for us. It's very helpful. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I was reflecting on that passage this week and how it relates to Romans chapter 2 and... I think before this week, whenever I thought of that, you know, I thought, oh, yes, let's, I, I want to fear you, Lord. I want to obey your commandments. But that, that judgment, bringing every secret thing to light, was a source of unease for me. But this week, as I was reflecting on that, it dawned on me, yes, this is a warning for the unbeliever. But this is an encouragement for those who trust in Jesus. No sin will go unpunished. That's a warning for the unbeliever. But for those who trust in Jesus, your every sin has already been punished in Jesus. And so now there is none left for you, only his love and favor. So that, listen, no good will go unrewarded. Did you hear that? Every secret thing, whether good or evil. So now you who are in Christ, when God judges you, it's those every secret good things he's going to bring to the light for his honor and glory and your eternal reward. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Beloved, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So now you do good not to be seen by men. And so children, we don't do good so our moms and dads can say, what a good little boy you are. What a good little girl you are. Your parents already love you. And they will always love you. And they cannot love you any more than they do now. But you want to do good because you love Jesus. And you know he loves you to honor him. We don't seek the glory of men. We seek the glory of God. Well, you might be saying, well, my good is not very good. I say, amen. I'm right there with you. My good is not very good. But it's not my good that matters. It is trusting in Jesus and he makes our good perfect. He even sanctifies our good deeds before his father. And not only that, but he makes you, not just the things you do, but he makes you pleasing in his sight. So that the holy God, God is holy, holy, holy. He delights in you. Listen, what parent doesn't delight to put their kids' drawings on the fridge? You see that all over the place. Now, why? Now, there may be some young budding artists out there that have wonderful drawings. But you do it even before they can write a letter, right? They have this picture, and it's just scribbles on a page. It's way outside the lines. But you put it up on that fridge anyways. Why? Not because they're perfect, but because you love the child, and it brings you joy. And this is how our Father sees our good works. He delights in them because He delights in us. On our own, 
they're flawed. But through Jesus, they're made perfect. So the Father rewards his children. That's why Jesus said, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we fear God now. Why? Because our eyes have been opened to his glory. We are in awe of this holy God. We, we revere him and we are filled with joy at who he is. We fear him now so we don't have to fear him later. The terror and judgment is gone for those who trust in Christ. And beloved, this good news comforts us in all circumstances, especially in our suffering. Because when we suffer, we entrust ourselves to this judge who will do what is just. We can patiently do good, trust our Father in heaven. We know his word tells us that he is collecting all our tears, that he's making all things new, that he will indeed comfort us, but also he will reward us. Now I've shared with you before that wonderful passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. I meditate on that passage, memorize that passage, but it tells us that these times of suffering will result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And beloved, that's not only for Jesus, but for you as well. Jesus Christ will be praised and you will receive the reward. God will reward those who trust in him. You will not be put to shame. You're going to hear those words, well done. You'll be made like Jesus. You will receive the crown and then you will reign with Jesus in a kingdom with no sin and no evil and no sorrow and no death. God's kingdom of righteousness and peace. Amen? Amen. Beloved, this is our hope. The day of God's righteous judgment is coming. For some, it is a terror and they, they want it to hold off as long as possible. But for those who trust in Jesus, we say, come, bring it today so that we can enter into our reward and be with Jesus. And being with Jesus is reward enough. Amen? Amen. You know, the only way that we can know what is relevant in life is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Preach the gospel to ourselves all day, every day. And so I want to close with this illustration. Some of you may have seen this. Alistair Begg in a sermon uh, talked about this. I would encourage you to watch him preach it. But he he begins with this question, the old evangelism uh, exploration video or question. It's a wonderful question to ask to share the gospel with someone. It's a wonderful question to ask yourself. If you were to die today, and you're to stand before God's righteous judgment. And the holy judge is to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And he says, if your answer begins in any way in the first person, you've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I was baptized, because I was a member of Proclamation Presbyterian Church, because I do these good things. You've gone wrong. Beloved, the only proper answer is in the third person, right? Because he, because Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again for me. And then, and then uh, Pastor Begg talks about he, he wants to meet the thief on the cross, right? He says, I can't wait to talk to that guy, to meet him one day and just to ask him, what was it like for you, right? Because one minute you're cursing out the Savior on the middle cross with your friend on the other side of him. And the next moment, you're here. You never did anything good. You never were at a men's prayer meeting. You were never a member of a church. You were never an usher in a church. But you made it. 
How did you make it? But it must be what he said. It must bring, don't bring over the angels and ask them. So, so how did you get here? And the man says, I don't know. What do you mean? What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Well, how are you here? And the, the, let me bring over my supervisor angel. This guy, I don't, can you ask him? We don't know why he's here. And so the supervisor angel will say, well, why are you here? I don't know. Well, let me ask you a few questions. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone? I never heard of it in my life. Well, how, how about the doctrine of scripture? Surely you know what? Blank stares. And so finally the angel, supervised angel, is frustrated and he just asks him, well, on what basis are you here? The man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. He says, all I know is this. I was receiving the just punishment for my evil deeds. I was guilty. And then Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's it, beloved. It is always, ever, only Jesus. If you take your eyes off of Jesus and live as if your salvation depends upon you, here's the result. It's either going to be gross pride and self-righteousness or it will be a paralyzing despair. But the cross of Christ kills both pride and despair and it turns our joy and our dependence upon Christ and in his place there grows this beautiful Humility. This is what we want to see grow here. And I see it in you. Praise the Lord. It is a delight to pastor this local church. And to see God at work in you. To see your love for Jesus. And your love for one another. And your zeal for good works. But this is what will grow. A beautiful humility. A gratitude and love for Jesus and others. And that will show itself in good deeds of loving service. Because we know, right? Because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. Because God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Beloved, that is truth you can count on. You can base your life on. That, my friends, is relevant. It's relevant both now and forever. Only Jesus can save us from God's righteous judgment and turn it from wrath to reward. So I urge all of you, from the youngest to the oldest, the most moral to the immoral, to repent of your sin, put your faith in Christ today, and walk in new obedience to the glory of God until the day when you see Jesus face to face. Amen.